Right, if you have your Bible, I want to read with us Romans chapter number 12, one verse, verse number 2. Why Sister Pam gets to stay in with us tonight because all of her little ones are gone. Well, I preached Sunday night on the thought of being uh, what a title. It was being, uh, being steadfast. And it would be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I preached on being steadfast. And while I was in studying today, I said I've got two or three other ones I thought I might could preach. And uh, the Lord just stirred me up and said, I want you to stay on that B. And uh, I said, well, Lord, what do you want us to be tonight? And tonight is, is going to be be transformed, be steadfast, be transformed. So we want to read tonight out of Romans chapter number 12, verse number 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. It's a, it's a very familiar text, one that we have read and heard read and taught and preached from. I'm not going to preach anything you haven't heard or don't know, but it's good just to have our pure minds stirred up by way of remembrance, the Bible said. We need to keep it fresh in our heart. Be transformed. Father, we thank you for your word tonight, and we pray one more time that you'll touch us, help us, Anoint us to preach. God, I am excited about your word. I'm excited about how your spirit's moving in our hearts and in our lives and how you're stirring us, oh God, to, to just uh, preach and, and to hear the preaching and to pray and seek your face around these altars. And I'm excited, Lord, because if you're talking, you've got plans to do something great. God, I'm excited at the prospect of what you want to do in my heart and in my life and in my church and in my city and in my county and in my nation. I'm excited, Lord, about what you want to do. So I pray start in me, start in us, right here, right now. God, as we hear the preached word, I pray that we would be all together transformed, made like you. God, when we leave this place, we can say it's been good for us to have been here. Grant it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If we look back into verse number one, I only read verse two, but he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So we see in Verse number one, there's an obligation that God requires of us on our part for personal dedication. He said, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. So why should I be sold out to God? Why should I present my life as a living sacrifice to God on the altar? So that God may transform my life from who I am to who he is. From what I am to what he 
desires for me to be. That is why I should dedicate my life unto God because as I lay my life on the altar, God says there is a transformation that is going to take place. in your. You, you know, we're born again. We're instantly, instantly transformed. We're born again. We go from carnal to spiritual. We go from lost to saved. We go from blind and now I can see. And it doesn't stop as we continually yield to him and give ourselves to him. He then begins to make me my spirit man. He begins to mold me and shape me like clay on a potter's wheel and make me altogether like he is. And that is a that is to me the most rewarding part about being a child of God. I, I, I'm not any more holy tonight, 28 years later after the fact. I'm not more holy because it's the blood that makes you holy. You can't get any more saved or any more holy than what Jesus made you when you were born again. But I would like to believe that I am more like Jesus 28 years later than I was the night that I got saved at an altar as a 22-year-old young man. So why should I be sold out to God? Why present my life a living sacrifice unto him on the altar so that he can transform my life in two aspects? Number one, he wants to transform my character. And number two, he wants that to correspond in the transforming my conduct. Can you say amen? Amen. Character is what you are. Conduct is what you do. If God cannot change who you are, neither can he change what you do. (laughs) Sometimes we want people to change what they do, and they've never changed in who they are. You you just can't make it happen. In verses 1 and 2 of our text, it makes it clear that as we maintain an attitude of daily surrender and submission to God upon the altar, we're being changed by him. This transformation of our character is where we want to first start. But I, I want us to look before we do it, the word transform, be ye transform. The word in the Greek literally means metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. And it is a change of form or shape. A transformation, particularly a change in the form of being as a metamorphosis of an insect from that of a crawling creature to a winged creature and what it's describing is that is when that caterpillar builds and encloses itself in that cocoon and then months later it springs forth as a butterfly it went from being a caterpillar it is now an altogether new and different creature it's an amazing thing It's an amazing thing. And the only other uh, 
transformation that we can find in nature to liken it to is that when a frog lays eggs and those eggs hatch, then the hatchlings are what we call tadpoles. It's amazing. A tadpole is like a fish. They have gills. They breathe oxygen through the water like a fish. They've got a tail. They swim around. Maybe you've seen tadpoles before. When I was a boy, every mud hole just about was full of tadpoles. They're kind of harder to find now. I guess we chased all the frogs away. But we used to catch tadpoles all the time. And it was always amazing to me that when they started the transformation, they would literally grow legs. The tail was still there, but the little legs have come out. And then the gills, unbelievable. The gills would close up and they would have to breathe like you and I, oxygen from the air, not from the water. And then the tail would fall off. And it wasn't a tadpole anymore, but a transformation had taken place, and now it's an altogether different creature. It's got to breathe out of the water. It's got legs. Where did the gills go? Where did the tail go? Where did the legs come from? It's been transformed. God put it in that creature that it is my will. It is my purpose. It is my pattern. It is my design that you're not going to finish the way you start. You're going to end up a completely different creature than what you were born to be. Oh, hallelujah. This is the word for transform. It is a metamorphosis. It is a complete and total transformation. You are not what you used to be, and you are not the person that you used to be when you get saved. Second Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become New. He is a new creature. He is a new transformation. Galatians 6 and 15, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. He said it's not whether you've cut away the flesh, uh, something that you do outwardly or in the flesh. He said, but it is a new creation. It's what's happened to you in the heart. In John 3 and 3, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This transformation has to take place if you're going to be a part of God's kingdom. That's right. So this transformation of our character first involves, number one, non-conformity to the world. Being not conformed to the world. Man, that's just a booger bear for a lot of people. Who are you to tell me how to live, where to go, who I can hang with, what I can do? It, it amazes me that in the, a majority of churches, it amazes me that in 
Pentecostal churches, the number of young people, and I'm saying this, uh, knowing I'm on live stream, I'm saying this, knowing I got family that are living what I'm preaching about, it amazes me the number of young people that sit in a Pentecostal church on a regular basis, know the truth, but are living together out of wedlock. They come to church, raise their hands, uh, worship, uh, sway back and forth, sing those songs, say amen when the preacher preaches, uh, and yet never feel any, not one ounce of conviction for how they're living and are treated like uh, just normal functioning members of the church. They operate in ministry. Are you hearing me? Jesus said, you can't be in the kingdom without being transformed. Born again. Listen, if you're living in willful, habitual sin, You've not been born again. The transformation's not taking place. A tadpole can't breathe out of the water and a frog can't breathe in the water. Don't get them confused. They're kindred. One's the offspring of the other. But the frog says to the tadpole, until you've been changed, you can't live where I am. Amen. Don't get the caterpillar confused with the butterfly. The butterfly is flying through the air. The caterpillar can turn loose from the tree limb. He's going to hit the pavement. And the butterfly says, not to be confused. You've not gone through the metamorphosis yet. You've not been transformed. You can't fly where I am until that happens. In your life. You can praise God. Let everything that hath breath. Praise the Lord. But you can't worship him. Unless you worship him. In spirit. And in truth. You want to go from being a praiser. To a worshiper. A transformation has got to take place. Oh I'm preaching tonight. Nonconformity to the world is the first order of business in the transformed life, at least the transformation of our character. Verse number two said, be not conformed to this world. The world here meaning the age that we're living. That's literally what it's translated. Be not conformed unto this age that you're living in. Galatians 1 and 4 who gave himself for our sin, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Why did Jesus give his life for us in giving his life for us that he might deliver me from this present evil world? 2 Corinthians 4 verses 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. James 4 and 4, ye adulterers 
and adulteresses. He's not talking to men and women that were cheating on their spouse. He was talking to men and women that said, I'm a Christian, and they were cheating on their God. They were in love with the world when they were supposed to be the bride of Christ. Know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. The Lord said, you're not going to flirt with this world and be my bride. And you're not going to fornicate with the things of the world and say you're mine. I'm a jealous God. I'm, I kind of, I, I kind of still feel that in my, in my heartbeat. I love my wife, but I ain't sharing her with another man. If you want to have, you want to keep the last name Sullivan, then you're gonna keep vows that you made to keep yourself holy unto me. And if I expect to be her husband, I'm going to keep the vow that I made to her to keep myself only unto her. That's what a marriage covenant is. And when you get born again, you've entered into a covenant with God. This cup, he said we we had communion service for our uh, Christmas service. You know, last Wednesday night, I believe it was, uh, this cup is the... New Testament of my blood. Testament means covenant. This is a covenant that I make with you. It is the covenant of my blood. And if I'm to wash you and cleanse you from your sin in my blood, then you're mine. And I'm yours. A covenant says uh, everything that belongs to you is mine. And the covenant says everything that's mine belongs to you. Heaven is mine if I walk with God. Heaven is mine if I'm faithful to Jesus Christ. Uh, All the riches, uh, all the glory, all the power. He said, I give it to you. This world is not our home. We're just here temporarily. We're pilgrims and strangers here. He said, be not conformed. The word conform means to take on the shape of or to be or to become like. Don't let this world, this age around you, squeeze you into its mold. No, God is squeezing you into his mold. You are a square peg and this world is a round hole. You don't fit. You don't belong. You're only a pilgrim and a stranger. You'll find out when you walk through the pearly gates of heaven, you were made for that. Hallelujah. I felt that before I said it. You walk through those pearly gates, your feet trod on the streets of gold. You're going to find out I was made for this place. Really, that place was made for me. He said, I'm preparing a place for you. But really, he is preparing me for the place. That place is made for me. And I'm being made to fit the place. I'm being transformed. 
1 John 2 verses 15 through 17, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I got news for the devil. We here to stay. That rapture takes place. We're going to eat at the marriage supper. We'll be back. Seven years we'll be back. When we come back, we've taken the place over. And we'll be here till he says time is no more and it melts with fervent heat and it creates a new heaven and a new earth. But the wicked are going to perish. It's the wicked that are going to pass away. Everything that's of this age and of this hour is going to pass away. Why do I want to be conformed to it? When the Apostle Paul's instructing us in our text, be not conformed to this world. He is in essence saying the same thing, the same exact thing that John was saying. Love not the world. Don't be conformed to this world. John's writing shows or teaches us what is in the world. Therefore helps us not to be conformed to these things. What did he mention about being in the world or of the world? He said, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. Yes. That is the sensuousness yes. of the world. Sensuousness is our God-given senses out of order. Twisted, shaped, and conformed by this world. I want to tell you what love is. God is love. And I'll tell you what love is not. Love is not lust. Right, that's right. Love is not lust. That's right. Amen. I've watched too many people in lust, not in love, that the first thing that goes wrong, they done left and got somebody else. Because it was never love, it was lust. The world has hijacked the word love. You can't know love unless you know God. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. God is love. Amen. So he said love not the world. In the world is the lust of the flesh. The sensuousness of this world. Which is our God given sense. That's taken out of order and twisted by this world. An example the desire for food. I'm just going to bring it on down home. Till it touches every last one of us. Except for Brother Terry. I think he's the skinniest one in here. He can eat though. The desire for food. That is healthy and that is necessary. You have to eat to live. I'm glad Brother Cord said amen. Because y'all know where I'm going, don't you? Oh, yeah. 
but a desire to overeat or to eat all the time to the detriment of our own health doesn't come from God. That comes from being bombarded with advertisements, pictures. Everywhere you look, there's something trying to push food in your face. And just being hungry, you've got to eat. I mean, look at it. The desire for sexual activity is God-given and not sinful. But that desire out of order leads to the sin of fornication or adultery. And the Bible said we'll end up in hell. You know the book of Proverbs said when a woman bats her eyes at you, don't look at her. And don't accept the invite to her open door because the writer said her doorway is a doorway to hell. You know what you're to do? Slam the door on pornography. Slam the door on the rated R and the rated X and whatever movie that wants to pervert by showing everything. Hello. Yes. The desire for fun is a normal desire, but that desire out of order can lead to folly and foolishness that leads to sin as well. What the world calls fun, God may call it sin. So the lust of the flesh is our senses out of whack being shaped by the world. The lust of the eyes is the covetousness of the world. Not the lust of the flesh. Look on a woman to lust and commit adultery in the heart. It is to covet. We see our neighbor's wealth is more than ours and we want it. I got to keep up with the Joneses. We, we joke, and we, me and Brother Joey and Brother Daniel and Brother Chris and Brother Corey, it's just kind of some, a thread by text, and we joke and clown about all kinds of stuff. And I just keep most of those between, <laughs> between some of the memes we share are just guy stuff, and we clown. Somehow we got on, uh, I know how, is yesterday, uh, the poor excuse of what is considered a Auburn football team lost again. We got on the subject. I just told Brother Daniel, I said, it is what it is. And they stink. <laughs> I, we, we kept talking about it. Brother Daniel said, well, I don't care if they lost every game every year. I can't bring myself to be an Alabama fan. I said, I'm with you. Brother Joey said, y'all just haters. I said, no, I ain't haters. I just ain't a lover. And as we got to talking more, I said, but I don't have anything invested. I'm not a season ticket holder. If I got an Auburn shirt, it was given to me as a Christmas present. I don't care to pay 
uh, Harson's salary. I'm not going to give one of them boys an NIL deal from Bible. I just, I have no investment in it. So it's fun and games. If I played a game of tic-tac-toe and I lost and you won, I won't be no more depressed over that game of tic-tac-toe than I was that Auburn went six and seven. I'm just telling you, it don't dictate my life. I'm not a better version of myself when they win. And I'm not a weaker version of myself when they lose. If I was, I'd be a pitiful somebody. But I did tell Brother Joey, if I had the opportunity, now that coach is vested in them boys. Here in a few weeks, baseball season will start, and I'll go all in on them high school boys. I'll be totally vested into their lives, and I'll love every minute of it. I'll go all in with their parents and invest into them because I count as a ministry to get to spend hours with them in a week and days with them in a week. I, I remember every coach I ever had from Little League all the way up, the hours you spend with that particular man shapes your life. You, you just remember. And God spoke to me years ago and said, you, you want to touch young people? You want to shape young people? Then pour into them what you were good at for all those years, but do it, not twisted and out of context. Do it as a man of God and tell them this game is short-lived and it's only going to last like your life a vapor a very short time. But Jesus is going to be with you for the rest of your life. Live for him, love him, honor him, serve him. I wish I'd have had one of those men tell me that. Listen, I said to Brother Joe, if I, if I could preach to those boys three hours every Saturday instead of just watch them, I'd be vested into them. I'd get to know them. I'd love them. Every aspect of their life would matter to me. But as it is entertainment, I have no vested interest in it outside of it's a fleeting, passing thing that's here today and gone tomorrow. Listen, nearly every advertisement in the world today appeals to one of, the, one of these two senses and hopes to mold, shape, and twist your senses out of God's divine order right. and align those senses with the senses of the world. Yeah, that's right. The desire... You know, for, for fun and in, entertainment, uh, that's all good. I, you know, I had a deacon one time, not here, but in my first church. He didn't show up Sunday, thought he was up in age, thought he was sick. Well, I'll never get to spend time with my boy. And he bought us some Saints tickets, and we was at the Saints game Sunday. But I'm back this week. I had a good time last week. I missed y'all. Heard it was good. I said, hey, if you want to come and sit on the pew and just clap your hand and tap your foot and just shake everybody's hand and hug everybody's neck and say, it was good, that's fine, I'm okay with that. Anybody in the whole world can do that. But if you're going to serve, if you're going to be in ministry, if you're going to sit on that board, if you're going to say, follow me as I follow Christ, you have no interest in being at a Saints game on Sunday morning while your church 
family is worshiping God. Oh, Brother Eddie, that's tough. Uh, no, that's Bible. You wouldn't think much of me. I went hunting next Sunday morning. Where's Brother Ed? Brother Corey's preaching. Where's Brother Eddie at? He's got a good buck on the game camera. He believes his best chance is knocking him down this morning. If I'm in that tree while you're on in this house worshiping God, something is wrong with my spirit, man. It's about the only thing I do outside of church is, is hunt. So that's why I bring it up as an example because it pertains to me. The day that becomes more important to God, my senses are twisted out of order and hunting becomes sin to me. Hunting ain't a sin, but you make it one. A ball ain't a sin. You make it one. There's a lot of things that aren't a sin in and of themselves, but taken out of order and in the wrong context, you make it one. The Bible said you make God lust to envy. You're flirting with the world. You're chasing after the world and God's jealous of it. So it's the covet. We see our neighbor's wealth. Man, I'm feeling Feeling like I done plowed into some stumps. We see it our neighbor's wealth is more than ours and we want it. When we're relieved to see someone worse off than we are, something's wrong. We're better because we got a better house. Huh? We're better because we drive a better car. We're better because we wear nicer clothes. Something is out of order. Right, amen. When we see a world in dire need and do nothing about it, while we continue to store up for ourselves, that's covetousness. Yes. Then third, John said, in this world is the pride of life. And the word pride there. It's taken from a word that literally means glamour. The glamour of life. The glamorousness. The word glamour means to cast an enchantment. It means an irresistible influence. To cast a spell with the lure of looks, intellect, talent, clothes, education, popularity. It is, in other words, vain glory. It is the very antithesis of Jesus Christ who said, I am meek and lowly of heart. The world says, look at me. I'm wealthy. I'm popular. I'm whatever. I got it. I got the it factor. Everybody wants to be popular, don't they? Everybody sees some Hollywood movie star. Whew, they're the standard. The way they dress, the car they drive, the house they live in. Somebody sees the best athlete, how he dresses. You, you look at some how them NBA players dress. Hello. Wear them little Capri skinny jean pants. Not me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. 
He ain't my hero. And ain't never going to be. I ain't going to watch him play. And he ain't coming to hear me preach. Why? Because he's after the world. And I'm after Jesus. This, this world is his heaven. And mine's up yonder. Jesus said if my if my children were of this world, if my servants were of this world, then they'd bear up arms and fight. He said, but my kingdom, not of this world. We're not to be sensuous, covetous, or glamorous. We are not to be conformed to such things. John said, if a man is loving and seeking after these things, he is not loving and seeking after God. We may please the world when we conform to its ways and philosophies. But the same proportion in which we please the world is the proportion in which we're displeasing God. To substitute the spirit of this age for the spirit of God. The transformation of our character first includes non-conformity to the world. Secondly, it includes the true conformity to our Savior, Jesus Christ. If God says, don't be like that, then he's going to give you the opposite side of the coin. All right, don't be like that. So what now? Be like that. That's what God is saying. Be like Jesus. God's purpose in each of us is to conform us to Christ. That's right. God has predestined us, the Bible said, to be conformed to Jesus Christ. You were not predestined to go to heaven or to go to hell, but you were predestined to be like Jesus. Every man, woman, boy, and girl, God made you so you'd be like him. The word transform, metamorphosis, to change, to transfigure. It greatly denotes a willingness to change. A pliability on our part to be molded into something or someone new. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The word change there is the same word in the Greek as transform. We are metamorphosized. We are transformed. How? As we behold him with an open face. As we behold him, as you look at Christ, as you view him through the prism of his word, as you view Christ through the eye of faith, when you hear the scripture and the word prints your heart, convicts you of sin and says, don't do that. Get away from that. All right, I laid it down. What to do now? Take up Jesus Christ. Put on, put off the old man and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be him. Be like him. Let him be the goal. Let him be the pattern. Let him be a hero. If we are, the, the, the first is 
But this method of transformation and then a measure of this transformation. The method is as we contemplate, as we think, as we muse, as we meditate on the Savior. But we all with an open face beholding as in a glass. The word glass there means a mirror. The glory of the Lord. Behold there. Or beholding means to gaze. Or to stare with intent. Do you know that the word of God says when a man reads a Bible. He's, he's looking in a mirror. And what you look into God's mirror and see. Is not who you are. Because the Bible. I'm going to use the word ain't. Is that okay? The Bible ain't about you. The Bible is about Jesus Christ. So when you read the book, he said, you stare in the mirror and you look and you see Jesus Christ. And then you compare your glory to his glory. And whatever it is about you that don't match to him, that's what you do away with. That's what you take to the, the altar. That's what you give to God in prayer. Yeah. Yeah. Woo! I like this stuff. This is good for an old country boy like me. It's looking at Jesus. It's gazing to stare with intent. If we're truly yielded to Christ, he becomes the object of our affection. He becomes the fixation of our gaze, our stare, our interest, our hope, our desire. Our dreams. Colossians 3 and 1. If ye then be risen with Christ. Seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Seek here means to mind. Or to be mindful. Of those things which are above. He said if you're risen with Christ. If you're born again. If you're alive from the dead. Then be mindful of Jesus Christ. Somebody said, man, you got to lighten up and live a little. I never even thought about all that stuff. I know, because you're carnal-minded. When you're born again, you're supposed to be mindful of Jesus Christ on the job, in Walmart, in your living room, while you're with your kids, while you're living in front of your grandchildren. You're supposed to be mindful of Jesus Christ. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What you're mindful of and what you're thinking on all the time is who you are. Woo! Preach, brother Eddie. I'm trying. God's method of changing or transforming of metamorphosis is by beholding. The focus of the glass or mirror in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 is to, be, to behold the object in the mirror that I can shape and pattern myself after what I see. I'm not the artist that sweet little blondie back there is. That girl's amazing. 
I can't think no image in my mind and write it down on paper. But I can if I just have the object here, have the blank paper here, make a line, study this a little while longer, make another line and study this a little while longer. I was pretty good at doing that as a boy coming up. I drew some pretty good pictures. After my kids was born, I'd, you know, I'd take a photo of them and draw pictures of them. Nothing like what she could do. Not even close to that kind of detail. But you're beholding something. Constantly beholding. And then you're doing what you have to do to make what you're creating exactly like what you're beholding. That's, good. That's what God intends for you to do as you behold Jesus. Make the necessary changes to be like him. The mirror of the word. It is in the Holy Scripture that we hear and see and feel our Lord by faith. Our devotional life is paramount in our ability to change from one degree of glory unto the other. You don't ever open your Bible. You can't change. You can't hear. You can't see. You can't feel. You're like a blind man, a deaf man, and a mute, and a cripple all at the same time. This Bible is God's ability to you to see, hear, speak, feel, and be like Jesus. Woo! What is this book? It's life. My word is life. He said, my words are spirit and they are life. This Bible is God's life in me. This Bible is God's mirror for me to look at and say your hair's messed up, fix it. Your tie needs to be straightened, adjusted. Your coat ain't on right, fix it. Your shirt's unbuttoned, button it up. Your belt needs adjust, whatever. That's what the word of God is. Why is the Bible so important? You can tell people that read it and study it and love it and people that don't. Ooh, hallelujah. I feel God in my soul. Our devotional life, our amount of time in that word is paramount, necessary in our ability to change from one degree of glory unto the other. David said, while I was musing, the fire burned. Word musing there means thinking or meditating. With the contemplation of the Savior, on our part, then there's the operation of the Spirit on God's part. There in that same verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You can't make the transformation. It is done by the Holy Ghost working in your heart. There's no desire in you 
to change or to be like Christ if the desire is not born of the Holy Ghost. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost to be like Jesus. If you're in love with him, you want everything that's his. While we contemplate, the Spirit operates. While I muse, the fire burned. And as we gaze into God's Word, the Holy Ghost not only reveals to us the likeness of Jesus Christ, but He reproduces the life of Jesus Christ in us. Kirsten, if you come help me, I need to quit. In the progression of this transformation, we go from the method of it to the measure of it. We're transformed from one degree of glory unto another. Transformed appears four specific times in the New Testament. Just rushing through each one of them helps us in small part to understand the measure of change that takes place in the life of the believer as we remain yielded and still in the potter's hand. Let's look real quick. Again, in, in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord, from one glory unto another, is the glory of this released life. I've been changed from one glory unto, from my glory unto his glory. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, uh, there is liberty. Liberty literally means a release or a freedom. It is the release of the Spirit of God in your life to do whatever He wants to do. Amen. Where the Spirit of the, the verse literally reads in the Greek, where the Spirit of the Lord is Lord, then there is a release of the Spirit. Yeah. Where the Spirit of the Lord is Lord, then there is freedom to be what God intends for you to be. Yeah. Transformed appears. These four times, listen, it's in the immediate context of this 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, Paul's referring to the release and liberty from the bondage of the law. But on closer examination, you find he's talking about total liberty, a release from all bondage, but also a release unto all blessing. A man who's free from fear, free from guilt, shame, condemnation, envy, malice, strife, Defeat, sensuousness, covetousness, glamour, the glory of the renewed life. In our text tonight, Romans 12, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing means a renovation, a complete change for the better. Though the outward man perishes, the inward man is renewed. There it is, changed, made better day by day. A current, up-to-date, fresh experience of walking with God. The glory of the redeemed life. The transfiguration of Jesus Christ. A glimpse of our complete change. You find it in Matthew and Mark's gospel. Jesus goes up to the top of Mount Transfiguration. He's seen talking with Moses. And Elijah in the Bible said he was transfigured. And Peter saw him in the glory that he had before the world was with the Father. 
he saw the glorified Christ. We're redeemed. We're being redeemed. The Bible said we're sealed under the day of redemption. And that day of redemption speaks to that day of our final change. This change can be seen even now, but in very small degrees and measures. Moses' face shone when he spent time with God. Stephen's face, the Bible said, while he preached, shone like an angel as he beheld our Lord. I could preach all night on the degrees of change, but the Bible said when a trump sounds, we're not all going to die, but we're all going to be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. He said, Brethren, it doth not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to be changed. Just in a twinkling of an eye, I'm going to be completed. That metamorphosis, that caterpillar to a butterfly, that tadpole to a frog, you know what that does? Comes in small degrees. That's my walk with God in this life. But when that trump sounds, I'm changed. Is mortal man going to put off mortality? Put on immortality. This corruptible is going to put off corruption and put on incorruption. Death is going to be swallowed up in victory. Then I will be like him. You know the Bible, Jesus told his disciples, he said, right now, he said, you've got a lot of questions. And he said, you're not ready for me to try to answer all of them because you couldn't understand them. He said, but in that day, You'll have no need to ask me nothing. You're going to be like me. And that day, you're going to understand. You're going to see as I see. And you're going to know as I know. Now we prophesy in part and we know in part. But when that which is perfect is come, we're going to know. Amen. You ain't going to need a prophecy because you're going to see it all unfolded right before your eyes. Amen. You're going to be made like him. That don't, that don't put off our degree of transformation until that day comes, until that trump sounds, he's working on me. As long as this gospel's being preached and the earth is holding a mirror up in my face said, you see, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Lord, what about this? I'm so burdened down. I'm so troubled. This is what I'm going to tell my buddy in Stapleton tomorrow. What if I got the blues, Lord? This is my beloved son. Hear about him. He'll, he'll give you joy for your mourning. He'll give you gladness for your sorrow. He'll give you victory in your defeat. This is my son. Be like him. He never quit. He never chased the world. 
He never bowed to the devil. I must be about my father's business. As long as I, as, as far as I can tell in the Bible, LeBron James wasn't Jesus' hero. As far as I can tell in the Bible, he didn't have a hero on a baseball team somewhere. As far as I can tell what I read of him, he didn't have any political aspirations. They wanted, tried to force him to be king. And he said, that ain't why I come. I come to be a servant and I come to die. And the Lord said, you know who's going to be greatest in my kingdom? There's a man that looks at Jesus and said, I'm not trying to be the greatest. I come to be the least among you. I come to give myself. Yeah. I come to serve, not to be served. I come to be the least, not the most. Gotta quit. You're able to stand with me. It's a fun message for me to study on and to preach, but it's a very challenging message to receive and to hear. I know it is. Because all of us are currently looking and staring into that mirror. And we see that in us. It's not like Jesus. It's a painful thing to go to the cross and nail that. That isn't like him to the cross and die out to that thing that and surrender that and submit that to God because everybody else is having fun with that everybody else is in love with that God what's so wrong there's nothing wrong with that until it steps in front of a mirror and you can't see him anymore all you can see is that it's time to say to that get out of my way you're blocking my view of the son of God Lord still working on me to make me like him. Meet me in this altar tonight. Let's just say to the Lord, Lord, if there's something blocking my view, behold his loveliness, behold his countenance, behold his holiness. If there's something blocking my view, just move me or move it. My desire is to be like him.